Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Relaxed Running Podcast. It's Tyson Popplestone here. Great to have you here with us. Today on the show, we have American distance runner by the name of Emily Durkin. Now, for those of you who haven't heard her name, Emily has, man, she's a mover and a shaker in the world of half marathon and moving towards the marathon. Not that long ago, she ran 67 minutes for the half and started her marathon debut in New York last year. We get into that in a little more detail throughout this conversation. It was a really informative chat. She's been featured in Runner's World. She's a highly respected woman in the world of distance running. Now, in this particular chat, we speak about the benefit and the rise of cross-training, some of the improvements that we see in our running when we incorporate the cross-training element into our training schedule. As I said, we talk about her first marathon experience in New York, uh, the obsession that distance runners have with miles and or kilometers if you're an Australian, and some of the pitfalls in that, some of the things that we miss when we're just chasing down bigger numbers. We talk about the experience of her trying to navigate her way through hydration, nutrition. I really like her approach to this topic. It was quite simplified and uh, made it a lot easier in my mind, especially going into the marathon. And finally, we speak about the benefit of strength training and some of the improvements that we see with a specific strength training program. It was a really great chat. At the end of this podcast, uh, for those of you who are signed up to the Relax Running Members Training Hub, uh, we have a 15-minute bonus podcast where we speak specifically about her 10-week build-up towards New York. We talk about the changes in the focus in her training, the length of training of her long runs, the way she structures her session, recovery, and anything else that you might want to know about a specific build up to the marathon so for those of you who are real nerds of the marathon or perhaps training for one or would like to really encourage you to jump onto the training hub i've linked it in the description below it's only five bucks us a month conversion rate still says seven dollars fifty australian so each and every week for all the podcast guests that are willing we do a 15 minute bonus special over there uh, for those of you uh, who are there, you'll already know there's uh, training programs, there's bonus articles, there's discounted rates for a whole number of services and courses that we have at Relaxed Running. And you also get connected with the support crew of professionals to help you with your running who all work online. So wherever you are in the world, uh, they're going to be of value to you as well. So if that's something you're interested in, hit the link in the description below. But for now, let's get this conversation going. This is myself and Emily Durgan. All right, hey, we're officially on. So good to have you here. I know it's been a, a couple of weeks coming, so it's nice to uh, finally get a chance to sit down and and hit record with you. Before I actually came on here, I had stuck in my head that you're on the east coast of the United States, and then I saw the Flagstaff poster behind you and got thrown off. So is that the original movement for you? Were you an east coast girl and moved to Flagstaff for your running? Yeah, exactly. So I um, went to college at UConn, which is in Connecticut, and I'm originally from Maine um, and spent a little bit of time in Boston um, with New Balance Boston post-collegiately and then moved out to Flagstaff in officially. That was 2017. So yeah, it's been... Yeah. Well, are you running with Under Armour now? Or have I just made that up? Because before, uh, before I came on here today, I was jumping on YouTube and having a little bit of a look through some of your videos. And I saw a couple of home workouts that were uh, that looked quite brutal. So I've saved them and I'm going to put myself through the punishment a little bit later. But I noticed I noticed it was put together by Under Armour. So I wasn't sure who uh, who had your back at the moment. 
Yeah. So uh, I've kind of like jumped around a little bit the first few years of my professional career, which which was awesome. So I was with Under Armour from, um, I guess that would have been like 2018 to 2020. And then uh, pandemic and all that. So what you saw there was uh, UA. We did a bunch of home workouts during the pandemic, which was so awesome. And it was a really good way for us athletes to almost like hit bonuses without racing. So Under Armour came up with this little like strategy, like, hey, if our athletes can do like different asks, we'll honor these as like bonuses, which would have been like from races. So um, I was super, yeah, grateful that they did that. And it was fun to make the videos, but long-winded answer. I'm now with Adidas and um, I was uh, signed with Adidas in 2020. So yeah, it's it's been awesome. So made that switch in 2020 and kind of um, have a, a long-term contract with them and super, super happy where I'm at. But um, it's been great to, to be with a couple of different brands over the past, gosh, five to six years. For sure. I've got a little soft spot for Adidas because when I was a, a – it's weird. I've got to clarify the fact that – I didn't even know if you know in Australia we say Adidas. So it's weird when you talk to an American. I'll always have like this little ping in my mind when I hear Adidas because it takes me a second to recognize the brand. But when I when I was an up-and-coming junior or, or sort of just coming into the senior ranks, they looked after me for a little while as well. So whenever I hear that, uh, that they're looking after someone, I, I, I get a little strut in my step because – I got a little bit of respect from just here on a, a more national level for the help that they offer to a lot of juniors. But what's the um what's the movements for you at the moment? Like are you so you're in flag stuff, you moved there for training. In terms of training, in terms of preparation, like what's on the horizon for you at the moment? Have you got any any asterisks or, or any plans to rock up to any race anytime soon? Yeah, so uh, funny you say that. I'm actually heading out to I say Adidas. I'm um, I'm going to the headquarters for the Roads to Records uh, race that they put on in the end of April. So they bring in about 150 of their top road athletes, and they run a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon. And I was invited out there to run the half. So yeah, gosh, what are we like? five-ish weeks away. Oh, not even now. I think it's down to like more like four weeks away. So um, that's like the next big thing on the calendar is I'm, I'm heading out to Germany to run that. Man, that'll be, that'll be amazing. Have you, uh, have yeah. you spent much time in Germany before? No, never, never. So um, last year uh, was the first year they had it since the pandemic. And I was still dabbling in a little track races. So I was kind of getting ready to run a 10K on the track. So I didn't make it out last year. So then this year, I'm kind of focused strictly on the road. So I'm like, hey, this is the perfect opportunity. And I'm going to spend a little time like at the headquarters after. And yeah, it'll just be nice to put like faces to, you know, the name to faces of people and uh, all that. So which part of Germany are you uh, are you running in? Um, so the headquarters is in Herzo. Her- okay. It's like that long name. And then we fly. I- I'm so bad. We fly. The- all the names are like crazy to me. And then we fly <laughs> like nerd, something with an N. I don't know. It's not. I was going like- to if it, if it makes you if it makes you feel better, if it makes you feel better, uh, the-, the two places that I would have known are Munich or Berlin. So don't feel, don't feel any panic because it's weird when you start throwing in some of those European names as well. I mean, not that Berlin and Munich are overly difficult, but you start looking around the outer suburbs of the big city and you go, okay, yeah. these are getting a little complex. So I feel as though we should be let off the hook. <laughs> so how does that work into your training? Are you training, you said you're five weeks out from that with a half marathon. Is that something that you 
get really targeted and specific for in your training? Or is, is that just something that you include in a block for maybe a marathon or, or something bigger further down the track? Yeah, that's a great question. So my last half marathon was um, Houston of 2022. So last last year. And um, that's where I ran my, my PR of 67.54. And that was like a huge PR. And um, to be honest, like going into that race, I think we knew that I was I was fit, but we really didn't do anything super crazy. So um, not going to lie, we're kind of like taking that same approach right now. I'm coming back. Unfortunately, I, I was supposed to go out to Australia for the world championships. And then I ended up um, getting a little stress reaction. So um, I decided to to not race that just back in February, which was a bummer for me. But I've been, um, yeah, so rehabbed from this little injury I had and now coming back, getting ready for the half, um, we're kind of just being conservative to not overdo it, which is nice. Cause for the half, like it's kind of that like sweet spot where you don't necessarily need those two hour runs and all of that. And then you also don't need to be like as sharp as maybe like a 5k or 10k. Um, I respond super well to just a lot of that almost like threshold work. And I find that especially if I'm coming back from an injury um, or just kind of slowly getting into fitness that I respond super well to that type of work. So yeah, that's where we're at right now. Um, Not doing anything crazy. So we're kind of keeping doing a lot of things by heart rate right now and just kind of staying in a very particular zone. Um, And I actually just got out of the pool. So we're still mixing in a little bit of cross training, which goes back to like, you know, because I'm not running a marathon, like time on feet isn't as important. Um, Yeah. So I think that that's kind of why I'm super pumped about this half marathon. And I kind of have to like put away my, my running log and and kind of like let uh, mileage go out the window right now, because um, we're really just trying to be conservative coming back from that injury. And, and I know that I'm getting in, in that good threshold work. And and like I said, I, I typically run a good half off that type of training. It's really interesting speaking to people about how well cross-training can complement their running. I've had quite a few guests on here. The most recent was Matt Fox from Sweat Elite. I'm not sure if you know that YouTube channel, but it's really interesting insight into the life and training of elite athletes. And I can't remember the athlete's name, but he was explaining to me that this 214 marathon runner, he maxes out at about 125 kilometers. So um, I'm trying to do quick maths. I think that's maybe like, 80 miles uh, in preparation, even for a marathon. And he said the reason that that works so well for him is because he's constantly, um, rather than being out there just running and spending more time on feet specifically, he's including a lot of intensity on ellipticals and stationary bikes and really building that aerobic capacity, but reducing some of that just built up pounding pressure that comes with a a lot of the marathon preparation. And, um, Matt was telling me that his progress over the distance since he'd started doing that kind of training had been really dramatic. And I feel as though this is something that's come up a lot in the conversations recently is a lot of athletes seem to be making that more part of their structured program, even when they're not coming back from any intense injury. So I was curious to pick your brain around cross-training and whether that has any place in your training structure regularly, or is that something that you use specifically for rehab? Yeah, that that's awesome. I love hearing that because I am definitely one of those athletes that respond super well to cross training. And this kind of marks all the way back to 
my like teenage years. I um, would swim in the winter. Uh, I never ran from, you know, I do cross country and then I was on the swim team. So swimming was always like my main form of exercise until the spring season. And then I'd come back to track in spring and it would be like, I didn't even miss a beat. So um, yeah. And then when I got to college, it was a little more challenging because in college you run year round. They have you do cross country, indoor and outdoor track. And, and I actually did struggle with, with some injury when I was in college. And I think that was just a mix of uh, everything, like being in college, maybe not sleeping as well. And you're balancing so many things. So um, in college, I did a lot of cross training just kind of to stay healthy. And, and then again, like I'd come back and I'd run great and I'd be just as strong as if I would have run all those miles. So yeah, I, um, I, as I've gotten into my pro career, it, it was a little hard at first because so many peers around me were really just like cranking out those miles that I didn't want to do the cross training. But now that I'm 28 and kind of realizing that I can like stay really fit and actually make gains in the pool or on the bike, um, I've definitely incorporated a lot more and my coach is super big on it. So yeah, um, all of his athletes use cross training. Yeah, it's really interesting as you mature in the sport a little bit and you get 10 years up your sleeve since college days and you start to see what works specifically for you because I've heard rumours, that the and more than rumours, I've heard some pretty good stories about American colleges and some of the coaches who get caught up with exactly what you just mentioned before, the cross country, the track, the indoor season. It's all about points. It's all about the the prestige of winning championships. And as a result, um, I mean, I know the American college system it produces some absolute stars of track and field, but there's also a few who go in there and uh, can never really navigate their way through the injuries and things that they take away with them. So I always like to hear stories of athletes who get to the point in their career where you're at right now where they go, okay, well, that's not all about just seeing how many miles I can tally up at the end of the week. It's actually about developing that base and that consistency and the ability to build strength over time. And I, I guess um, for an event like the half marathon and, and the marathon, it's even more relevant because the, I guess the, just the fact that it's so essential to spend that time on your feet is a key ingredient of marathon performance and, and constant injury can sort of leave you out of that. So um when you're when you're training, like, would you incorporate the cross training element of it as like instead of including a double run during a regular week? Is that where you implement the cross training, or is it something that substitutes entire sessions? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. Um, for me, since moving to Flagstaff, so I live at seven thousand feet, and a whole nother factor that comes into altitude training is just uh, fatigue. Like a typical session done at sea level or even just like an easy run just takes so much more out of you. Um, so I found that for if for me, if I just cross train like all of my doubles, um, I bounce back a lot better the following day. So they actually substitute the second, that second run. I was speaking to Genevieve Lacaz. I'm not sure if you know her or Genevieve Gregson. It yes. is now. She married Ryan Gregson. Uh, she's been on here a couple of times. And one of the things that I loved hearing from her was as she tried to navigate her way through a couple of Achilles injuries, she really backed off the intensity. And, and she was having that same approach where she would leave out the double run and she would get in and do quite a lot of pool running. And she's yep. explaining to me that for her, like the pool running, there's almost, well, there's zero pressure on her joints, on her knees, on her Achilles. But the heart rate threshold that she can reach in the pool is still pretty high. And as a result, She's like, man, like my fitness is off the charts. I feel fantastic. 
And it is something, it's it's always interesting noticing things like this move in waves. And there, there definitely seem to be a lot of athletes at the moment who have made this a more renowned, uh, a more specific part of their training. Whereas when I was competing sort of 10 years ago, I, I felt as though it was almost frowned upon. Like there wasn't a lot of respect for the cross-training element. And I'm not sure whether that's because we're such an obsessive compulsive bunch that in our minds, even though we understand the necessity of recovering things, it, there's something about just seeing bigger numbers being tallied up that just gets us up and about and convinces us, uh, convinces us that, that at the back of our mind, we're, we're fitter than we, we really are. Right. Right. And I think that like sometimes people, I mean, even when I was in college, it'd be like, Oh, the athletes that are in the pool are the athletes that are injured and the athletes that aren't competing right now. You know, it'd be like healthy athletes are going for a six mile run and then unhealthy athletes are going for an hour in the pool. And I think that that like, is just what kind of defined cross training um, at like kind of even at a young age, you know, we were kind of taught that you're healthy, you're going to go for your jog, you're not healthy, you're going to get in the pool. Um, so I, I'm really happy that I'm seeing more and more pro athletes kind of even on social media, like you're saying, Jen, kind of uh, say like, oh, I've used cross training, or she even did that, like in her pregnancy, like coming back from all of that, she used the cross train. So um, I think that's really, really awesome to see. I know that there's some athletes that don't like it and don't use it and they like to run 130 miles and that works for them. And um, yeah, so I, I, it's cool that, that, like you said, there's more pro athletes that are kind of speaking on the benefits that they've had from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize you had a 67 half marathon next to your name. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't done too much research into any of your progress above sort of 10K. So when you said that, you threw me out in a good way because I was so impressed by it. So are you, have you officially launched, forgive the ignorance here, have you started marathon career yet or are you eyeing off any marathons? Because with a 67, it's, it's sort of terrifying to think about what that conversion might be i know some really really strong australian runners who aren't running that fast over half marathons and are running really really fast over a marathon so the i i guess the room and, and the excitement for an event like the marathon especially going into your 30s is is one that you must be pumped up about yeah yeah for sure and you know that really fast half like yeah it was exciting because it got people super pumped for me to run a full and i actually trained and my debut was New York of last year. And unfortunately, I had to drop out at 18k, um, which was definitely the smart decision for me. I, I was like way in over my head with with a bunch of things. So the marathon, um, you know, even with me dropping out, I know that I'm going to be super successful at the marathon. I just unfortunately, put way too much pressure on that debut. Um, it's crazy what they do over here. <laughs> I mean, they just, especially like something like New York, it was an honor to, to be able to debut there. But I think like the stars and all the glitz and glamour of it, uh, I wasn't quite prepared for. And I just had a lot of like internal and external pressures that going into my next one, I know that I'll, I'll deal a lot better with. Ladies and gents, just a quick reminder, this episode is brought to you by the Relax Running Training Hub. Now, right now, Emily's going into a bit of detail about her New York experience, but if you want a bit more of an overview about what the inside of that marathon training preparation looks like, jump over to the Relax Running Training Hub, where we do a bonus 15-minute special specifically about her marathon build-up. Now, it's a relatively new feature, but from now on, every single guest that we have on the podcast, we do a bonus 15-minute special with, and for no added cost, you'll get access to all of that 
for as long as you remember. So that's what you're interested in. Make sure at the end of the show, you hit the description and click on the link in there. But for now, let's get back to the conversation with them. Sure, sure. Uh, so leading to your next marathon, have you got your eyes on on which one you might be looking at? Because New York is as beautiful as it is and as, as prestigious as it is. It's not necessarily renowned for being the fastest course, is it? Like it's quite twisty and turny and um, it's more of a, it seems to be more of a race race. Mind you, like the times that you guys are running now, it still seems very elite in comparison to what was taking place 10 years ago. But in comparison to like a Valencia marathon or a Berlin marathon, I'm not sure the, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this is just me uh, freestyling, but I, I thought a course like one of those might have been an opportunity for a faster time than somewhere like New York. For sure. And, you know, I obviously I can't go back and, and change things. Um we, we as marathoners, sometimes you chase running fast, you know, sometimes you yeah. chase competing and, and uh, appearance fees and all that. So oh, yeah. I yeah. think that if I was to do it again, I would have picked a race like Berlin or like Chicago to debut at. I think that that would have just been a lot better for my first one, something that is very even in surface, uh, not as much rolling hills. Um you know, I think that the it's easier to kind of find your groove earlier on in those races where New York is a different style of racing. It, it's competing and you kind of all stay together. And yeah, so like like you said, New York's an awesome opportunity. But I think that just the athlete that I am and after running such a good half, I probably would have had a better experience if I would have done a Berlin or um, in my head. I think like even Chicago has kind of that same style. Yeah. Yeah. I was speaking to Patrick Tin and I'm not sure how many of the Aussies, you know, but he debuted at Chicago last year running 211. And uh, I'm not sure that the the glitz and glamour, the prestige, as you say, around New York looks like it would be a really difficult thing to navigate if you you weren't aware of it. And it probably comes as a bit of a shock because a lot of the times, and I think it's better in the States than what it is in Australia, but there's not that much glitz and glamour around distance running in general. Like I'm going to run the Melbourne marathon this year and there's a lot of people out there but if you win the event, no one, <laughs> no one's going to know. Whereas in New York, an event that's been going for, what is it? Is it like 50, 50 or 60 years now? And obviously in a city that size, people are, uh, uh, people are a lot more up and about. And there's probably, in fairness, attracts a lot more notable names to an event sure. like that. In terms of the marathon preparation, how much did the, did the actual training structure change for you from your regular structure? Because I know you said there's a few differences between, you know, half marathon, 5K training. In terms of stepping up into that longer distance, did it did it uh, did the structure change, or just the duration, the and, and sort of the miles were the the main components of change? Right. So um, my training leading into New York was awesome. I think my coach really nailed it with what we did. Um, so we the biggest thing was getting those quality long runs up. So it was like every other week we did like a long run workout which would consist of eight mile at, you know, like a decent clip in your trainers. And then we change to our race shoes and go for another eight mile um, about a minute faster per mile than we were just running. So say you're doing like six forties, then you go to like five forties. Um, so those, those workouts I thought were great. And I, and I really thrived in those sessions. Um, with that being said, we also kept in, um, like every other week, like a strong, like 10 K 
pace um, work, or I guess like half marathon. My half marathon and 10K are about the same these days. So, <laughs> um, so that whatever that pace is. So we were really good about keeping those sessions in too, because um, I just think that like a little bit of turnover is good. So we didn't do just all straight mileage, or, you know, so we kind of um, would vary. So the biggest difference with with the marathon training was those quality long runs. Um, mm -hmm. And because that was like a time that we could practice fueling. Um, and I got all the way to uh, 24 was my longest run. Um, and yeah, so we practiced with the fueling and all that. So everything was good. So yeah, there was no, there was no reason why I New York happened the way it did. And unfortunately it was just a lot, a lot of uh, mental, mental components to it. Sure. So, so 24 miles was the longest run. Did you do a lot of running around that length or, um, so I guess uh, maybe a better way to ask the question is in, in terms of a block leading up to New York, did you have a, a 12 week block or a 16 week block that was marathon specific? Yeah. So that's another thing that, um, if we were to do it over again, we do different. So I love racing and I committed to running New York, which is the first week of November. But as you know, there's so many awesome like summer road races that are just so much fun. So I wanted to run all those summer road races. So I, um, yeah. I basically was running um, the 10Ks and all that the beach to beacon in Maine was my last road race. And that was the first week of August. And then I was already like, super sharp at that point because I was running all these 10 Ks and basically we were kind of like, all right, let's take a couple days down and then like transition to this 10 week build. But I was starting my 10 week already super fit. So um, that's yeah. another thing we talked about was I just kind of, I think that we overcooked it a little bit. So um, yes, the week, the builds for marathon specific stuff was 10 weeks, but then like looking back on it, it was more like 20 weeks because I just, I transitioned from running the track to doing those shorter road races. And then it was like, all right, time to do a marathon build. Um, so my biggest advice would be to anyone that is looking to do a marathon build, make sure you take a decent amount of time off from training and racing before you start your builds. Great. Well, you're making me feel better because I'm running the Melbourne Marathon this year, which is a chance at redemption because I did it five years ago. It was just my audience is so sick of hearing about it. So I won't bore them with the details. <laughs> but um, one of the things I'm doing now is I've, I've come back, but it's, it's what are we now? We're April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Well, like we're six or seven months away. And I've oh. been having a little bit of calf problems. I've, I've yeah. been navigating because I've put on about 10 kilos just in pure muscle, I'll have you know, um, <laughs> since my uh, since my distance running days. And yeah. uh, as a result, and I'm also 10 years old, I'm 36 now. And so going out and just stepping into some training, I think I just went back to what I knew 10 years ago. And I was going into like 1K reps and 2K reps and whatever else. And the intensity might have picked up a bit quick. And I hadn't done much research on treatment of muscle strains or calf strains and things like that. So as a result, I'm kind of two weeks into just a very, very, very slow build up back to fitness. And I keep saying, well, um, I'm probably that fitness level where a 16-week build up is going to be very beneficial. But I had stuck in my head for a while. I'd be so great if you could do like a nine-month build up. But hearing that, it's actually kind of comforting because it's like, well, you can achieve a lot in in 12 weeks. And maybe it's even an advantage rather than going in at 
full 100% fitness and trying to build from that. And I imagine like that that road race fitness that you started at the beginning of your block is um, like you would almost feel more refined in a sense because when you're busting around a, a 5K at a really quick pace and you've got to bring the pace back and just extend the distance at, uh, I'm not sure, but it, I can imagine that feeling a little lethargic or a little boring, especially for someone who loves the racing element of the game. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of just what happened is I was just, yeah, I was super refined, super peaked. And then um, it was kind of like, okay, we thought, you know, because we're backing off on intensity, we're just adding in mileage. We thought that like my body would just kind of bounce back from that, but it kind of did the opposite where I just kind of started to feel super burnt out. So um, I, I had one race in my build And this is another thing is I don't take races very lightly. Like when I'm going to race, I'm like balls to the wall. I'm going all out. Like I don't. (laughs) So that's another thing. Like marathoners, I've learned when they race in their marathon build, they kind of uh, they take like a different approach to the races. Um, So I did a 10 mile race. It was I was like a month out from New York. And of course, I just went all out. It was in, in that race there. I totally just left New York on the course. I, I was, I was just so, I don't know, like after that race, I, I knew like kn- knowing that I had four weeks to go into my marathon, I was like, oof, this is going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. In what sense was that because you were in the middle of such an intense buildup and your body was already fatigued. So that was just pushing yourself a little over the edge. Yeah, for sure. I think that was it. And I think that at that race, I think I was just kind of in peak fitness. Um, and even though, yeah, we still, we didn't back off for the race, but um, I just think that, yeah, I was just essentially just so drained after that effort. I kind of couldn't come out of it for the rest of my builds. Yeah. yeah. How frustrating is hindsight? Because it's so interesting. And every single marathon runner that I speak to, says the same thing. And I think it's part of what I love about the event and and what we as athletes love about the event and part of what we hate is there's just so many elements that you leave a race and you're like, all right, as despite the fact you're a 67 half marathoner, you've been doing it for years, like everyone in the field sees you and knows you as a professional runner, you can still finish the race and be like, oh no, there were so many things I needed to do differently in the next build. And it doesn't matter how how fast the athlete is. Like Steve Monaghetti, who's an Australian marathon runner that I spoke to, I don't know if he's run 207 or 208, but even him as a seasoned and a long-time marathon runner up until sort of the late 90s, he's like, yeah, no, I I don't know that I ever completely nailed one. Like, how do you take that? Is that something that excites you or is it something that frustrates you as a marathon runner to know that as much as you learn, as as much as you navigate your way through the event, there's always going to be something else to sort of – tinker with for your next marathon buildup? Yeah, I think that that's super exciting. But I think people also need to realize that there's the marathon is such a wild event that it takes so much for it to go right. And I have so many pros around me that have had so many more bad marathons than good ones, you know, so I think that just the biggest advice that people have given me is to just like keep showing up and you know, every time that you line up for a marathon, you're going to learn something new and for it to go right. It's just, it, it's, I mean, one in a million kind of deal. Uh, it's Mm. just, it is, it's, it's wild. Like this, the New York city marathon, um, I was debuting it. And then my 
friend Sharon Lochetti, she was also debuting it. There was, and then Helen O'Brien, there was only a few people debuting. But anyways, Sharon went on to win the entire New York City Marathon. Like it, her name, her name wasn't even talked about. You know, like there was, it was just there were so many upsets that day because, like, you know, like who was supposed to win? Where and then Sharon, who had never run a marathon in her life, I mean, she had only run maybe like one or two halves. She won the whole thing, and it's just, I think, like. She was on the opposite side of the spectrum of the day <laughs> that I had. <laughs> so it was just it's just kind of cool cool to see though. Yeah. How did the transition into the fueling and hydration element go? Because it's always interesting speaking to someone who's had more of a history on the track um, and hearing them move up to I guess not so much the half marathon, but marathon specifically, because a whole nother part of the training armor is the the fueling and hydration was that something that was hard for you to navigate i know you said you practice during training but even still it's a weird concept just trying to figure out okay like at what point do i need it and what specifically do i need and how well does it sit in my stomach and is this the right formula for for me as an athlete yeah i think that's a, a good question and i think that's something that i actually thought a little bit too much about like i was i had so much anxiety over my bottles and taking in fluid and I wish that somebody would have just told me like, it really doesn't matter that much um, because it really doesn't. And I think like, we're still figuring it out, you know, and every athlete's still figuring it out. So I think that again, that's something that nobody has nailed down to a science and yeah, I, um, I think I made a bigger deal over it than I should have. Um, I think the biggest thing to do in practice is more figuring out, yeah, what sits well in your stomach and is not going to cause you like something that you can actually take in. And, um, as for like all the knitting, nitty gritty, like carbs to weight and all this stuff, it doesn't matter. Like it really doesn't. And, uh, you got to think about even like years ago, what people were taking it's, and you know, they were still running just as fast if not faster off of what like flat coke you know so (laughs) it's such an interesting point it's one thing and and those comments make me feel so much better as well because my general interest i've had a fair bit of support from from precision hydration in the uk just over the last couple of years and i probably haven't been able to use them as as much as i have liked to just based on the fact i hadn't been running i'd been coaching more and i did that one marathon but to hear the science behind it is just overwhelming because just between me and you, like the science element isn't that exciting to me. I don't really care. I just want to make sure that whoever's putting it together knows what they're doing. But then you speak to some people and it's like they're super type A about it. It's like, all right, this has got to be here and it's got to be this many carbs at this time and this much sugar. And I go, dude, like if this is what's involved, it's <laughs> it's not something that I really want to figure out. I'm not right. trying to run. Uh, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, become elite or run any uh, super quick times. And, and your point's valid. Like, it's such an interesting thing that uh, w- w- the Australian marathon record only recently got broken by Brett Robinson. And mm-hmm. before that, I think the record was set in the late 80s by Deke. And I, I know there was no crazy fueling taking place right. just there. So it is, it is interesting. And I guess this correlates to other points as well. Like, even the, uh, I don't know how you find that heart rate training and things like that, but there's a lot of athletes, Kenyans especially, who train specifically by by feel. And there's maybe a little bit of that. We get too caught up in the in the science of running and forget about just the, the motion of running and listening to our body and adjusting according to that. Like, is, is that something that you're aware of or is it is it sort of more just with the, the hydration where, where that view is... Um, sort of in place because it, it to me it seems to correlate beautifully into other areas as well 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with the with the by feel. I think that that's super important. And I think I'm an athlete that does a lot better with that style. Um, if I have to start thinking too much about like the nitty gritty things, it it just honestly causes me more stress. And I kind of get away from the actual task, which is, you know, completing the workout or you know, finishing my long run. And when I'm thirsty, like taking a bottle like that's So I think that Sometimes um, coaches can use heart rate, which we do. We're starting to do it a little bit, which I understand my coach's uh, view behind it so that an athlete is not kind of going over their threshold, especially when you're training in a group. Um, And again, being at altitude, everybody responds super different. So a tempo run for me at a heart rate of, you know, 160 might look a lot different than my teammate at 160. So I think it's important when we do things like that, just so that you're not overcooking yourself um, in sessions, especially um, somebody like me, I, I really love to do everything pretty hard. Uh, so I think that that's, that's one thing that will help not kind of have that burnout that I was telling you about in my previous marathon builds. Yeah, you and I sound like we've got a pretty similar personality type. It's like, all right, we're not going to do it if we can't do it well. So I I definitely respect that. And I know, but I also know the frustration that comes with that sometimes because if you're, well, maybe I'm just putting words in your mouth, but if you're anything like me, I get that uh, too much. It's like everything I... My wife always gives me a hard time because she's like, babe, why don't you just do it as a hobby? Like we live near the beach now and uh, I've been flirting with the idea of getting into surfing for the last couple of years. And uh, I just know that if I start going out there, it's going to become like I'm going to try and be the next Kelly Slater. And it's like, Tosh, you're 36, mate. You can't stand up yet. Just relax. Just go (laughs) go enjoy it as a hobby. So it's, uh, I guess, for a sport like distance running where you actually get a little beat up if you you can't adjust, it's it's a little more dangerous. But, yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from. In terms of... um, uh, like the recovery side of your training. I know we talked a little bit about the, well, we sort of covered nutrition, hydration, and um, your cross training. Uh, are you doing a lot of other stuff around strength and conditioning that has been beneficial to you? Or like what other components are, are you sort of spending time working on, which is correlating nicely into your running performance? Yeah, that's something that I've invested a lot of time with is like the strength and recovery side of things. I'm not huge into crazy like Olympic lifting. I did a bit of that in college and that was kind of what we did in college. And, and I mean, I liked it, but it just kind of, I like am somebody that will like bulk up super fast. And I was like, I can't be having these like massive biceps starting, (laughs) starting a 10 K. Yeah. um, And that's something that my, my coach Terrence, he, he writes all of our strength programs. So he knows that about me that I'm like, yeah, if, if I start doing like deadlift or something, like I, I look like an 800 meter runner. So um, It's, it's such a cool problem to have though. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even as like a little girl, like I was always like, I always had like that muscular, it was just, it was just a natural build. Um, so now like my lifting is more injury prevention, like small strength training. And yeah, honestly, that's something that I do every single day. I'm somebody that rather, I rather take 20 minutes before every run and 20 minutes after versus spending three hours in a gym 
like twice a week, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I find that I just benefit more from that. Every athlete's different. I know the mid distance runners, they love to get their lift on and they're in the gym doing their thing like twice a week. But yeah, I just, um, I, I, I have my little routine that takes me about 20 minutes and, and I do it every single day. And that's kind of how I have found the most success to add lifting and strength into my, my running. Sure. So, so with those 20 minute routines, you said you do that before and after each of your runs. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, awesome. and it, 20, yeah, 20 minutes before of, of, um, activation or, or some bands or some slider exercises or, um, simple like hip bridges to kind of get the glute activated and, yeah, the biggest thing that we're kind of working on right now that um, we found the most success with is kind of like activating and elongating. So um, kind of like activating the glutes into a glute bridge and then like flipping over and doing kind of like a hip flexor stretch. So and that's like kind of the same same thing with like um, kind of like stretching the pecs and then doing kind of like uh, band openers. So, yeah, a mix of like activating and stretching is what I have found the most beneficial. Sure. So most of it's body weight stuff and you, you yeah. do some bands as well. So you're not, you're not actually doing any sort of additional weight. Like you're not putting any, any weights in there or. Uh, no, this is, I mean, it kind of depends. Like if I'm doing some like dumbbell flies, cause I kind of have issues with having my sh shoulders rolled in. Sure. I'll take oh, yeah. some five or 10 dumbbells, but um, we've kind of gone away from that and we do a lot of like isometric hold uh, stuff. So um, if I'm going to be doing step ups, uh, I will kind of like go into a runner position, hold it for 30 seconds, fatigue the quad and then go straight into step ups. Um, so that kind of has what has um, eliminated the weights from the routine is um, or say something simple like a hip bridge. Uh, you kind of go up into a hip bridge, hold it for 30 seconds and then go into reps. Um, so that's kind of the isometric with reps that, that we have found that I respond the best to. Yeah. That's such a cool approach. It's really yeah. interesting. Uh, the strength element something I'm, I'm so interested in because I, I always think I'm going to find like the golden nugget of this is what elite runners do. And you guys constantly surprise me because so many athletes, Ryan Gregson, um, was I, actually, I always get this confused. I think it was Ryan Gregson was explaining that he just likes to get, uh, when he was at his peak, he liked to get his hard runs done or his hard stuff done on a hard day. So he would do his sessions and his heavy gym stuff. Like he would get his lift on as well on the same day that he did his sessions. Yep. If that wasn't you, Ron, I'm sorry. I've just completely blurred you with someone else. But the, the example remains the same. And then other athletes go, okay, no, I'd much rather do the hard session. Then on my easy day, do the, the, the actual gym routine because it gives me a little bit of a chance to recover from that. But your approach is one that it sounds so functional. It sounds as though it makes a lot of sense. And I've never heard that before. Like, is that something that um, is, did you say your coach's name is Terrence? Yep. Terrence Mann. Yep. Is it something that Terrence has, has come up with that your whole group's doing? Or is that something, uh, I know you said, like with your massive gains that you put on, it might be a little more more unique to you. But is that something that's sort of universal across your group? It is. Yeah. So I think most of his athletes, um, we'll probably have like four or five days of, um, uh, we call it lifting, but I would, I wouldn't say that all the, you know, like I said, like some of the stuff is just like at home that you can do before your run. So yeah, that is kind of his approach is, and, and he just finds that 
athletes are a lot more um, uh, productive uh, when he gives, um, you know, kind of it's easier to digest like five or six things every day versus like a three, like a two hour session Tuesdays and Fridays. So um, I think that that's kind of the approach that he's kind of done for all athletes because all of us that he's coaching now like that style a bit more. That's cool. And how many, how many people do you have in your squad? So, wow, that's a good question. It's kind of difficult because I'm technically based here and in San Diego, they have a group. I I think he coaches like 10 or 11, I want to say in like about six of them are fully in San Diego. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so who's up in flag stuff with you at the moment? Um, so right now, Taryn Rawlings just got here from San Diego and she is like a 1500 5k girl. And then Paul Ryan is another one of Terrence's athletes. He's also a 1500 meter runner. Um, Katie Izzo graduated from Arkansas a few years ago. She's more of a distance girl. So her and I can do some things together. And then over like the next week, more people will kind of trickle in. Um, and then Sarah Pagano, who's the other marathon runner that Terrence coaches, um, she came up here and did, we did our whole New York build together. So it's nice because like the mid distance crew and the distance crew, they kind of come at different times. So then I get like double the time with them here. You get super social, super social. Yeah. You mentioned that a lot of the uh, international start coming up there around this time of the year. Does the, does the sort of, does the town change much? Like, I don't know much about the population of flag stuff on a day-to-day basis but the sort of the the insight that i get is just through running photos and seeing a whole heap of distance runners up there i'm not sure if the terrain's conducive to cyclists and stuff but do you get me road cyclists and things there as well or is it predominantly distance runners who are coming up there to train oh no it's um we get kind of like all high endurance athletes uh swimmers cyclists and then the runners so yeah it's like a pretty big hub to train here um Decent roads. I mean, we still have snow right now, so that's kind of challenging for the distance runners. A lot of our, um, like, service roads are still covered in snow, so we kind of don't have as many options for runs. But, yeah, just this past Wednesday, I don't even know how. It's kind of like one person hears that, like, 9 a.m. people are meeting, and then, like, everyone just shows up at 9 a.m. <laughs> have, like, like, 65 cars and, like, 80 people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My parents came out to visit and we were doing a Sunday long run at one location. And I and I just I I said, you guys should come and go for a walk. And they show up and they could not believe it. It was just wild. Like they they thought like, oh, maybe there's going to be like 20, 30 people. Like, no, it was just. Yeah. So um, that's really fun because you kind of all start together. Then you find your group. And um, I, I enjoy I enjoy those those few weeks when everyone's here. It sounds amazing. The social side of it, especially on that that long run, is the yeah. most fun part of it. If I can be having a conversation with someone, forgetting about the pack, the fact I'm running 15 miles or whatever it is, it, it makes me feel so much better. It makes the time just disappear. Ali Kipchoge's got a good point around that. He's like, yeah, we go out for 20Ks on a Monday, but it's just like a it's just a social thing. None of us are really thinking about the fact we're running. I'm like, what a what a strange comment. Like there's not many people in the world who can go out for a 20K run and not think about the fact they're running. But I guess that social element allows that to happen. That's um 
That's awesome. It's funny, my, my mindset on flag stuff, it's weird when you get an image of a place stuck in your head, which is just based purely on imagination. In my head, when I think of flag stuff, all I think of is trails and, like, forest, and uh, that was my uh, – hence my cycling question because I didn't think about the fact you also have roads there, yeah. <laughs> which is which is such a strange thing to think about. I have to get over there and change that, uh, change yeah. that perspective. But – Emily, I told you that we'd speak for around 45 minutes and, and that's what we've done. So I don't want to take up too much of your time for the for the main part of the, the podcast anymore. So it, it's so good to, to finally have you on here and get the chance to pick your brain about it. So thanks so much for, for making the time and, and sharing a couple of your secrets with us. For sure. Yeah, it's been great chatting. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. She's an absolute legend, really informative, really educational. So it was a nice little takeaway for me leading into the marathon as well. Don't forget if you are interested in getting access to the bonus podcast, plus all the other features we have in the Relaxed Running Training Hub, hit the link in the description below. And for $5 a month, you get access to all of that. Thanks for being here. And hopefully we'll see you on the inside. If not, we'll see you back here next week.